it was the kind of place you only wished was possible. The kind of thing you make up as a child right? Right. when you're playing with your toys and you're yeah. like, oh yeah, this bookcase is totally a mountain and this is the side of a rocky cliff, you know, and all these, you know, GI Joes are about to die. You know, <laughs> it was the kind of thing you came up with as a child with your toys. Welcome to episode 93 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show all about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Wednesday, June 18th, 2014. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today, the dragon writer himself, the very co-founder of the podcast, it's Joe Darnell. Hello, Joe. <laughs> dragon writer here. Uh, I, I don't even know what just happened. I just blew <laughs> your mind with one of my dragon powers. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll go with Effectively, that. Effectively, I am now controlling your mind, and now the rest of the show is going to be domineered by the Alpha. What would you like me to do? Um, just continue what you're doing. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a roundabout way that we've gotten you here. I was supposed to record this week with uh, Clark Douglas, and he is unavailable due to a serious infestation of cold germs, which have infected his body, rendered his voice uh, incapable of speaking, and uh, basically put him in bed from what I understand. So I'm sending uh, warm mm. wishes and, and get well, uh, you know, thoughts to, to Clark. Yeah. Yeah. My family's got it too. And we hear that our friend, Michael Menkoff, he's got it too. Oh, that's a bummer. He would have been my yeah. next call. <laughs> Cause I know he's <laughs> yeah. a big fan of how to train your dragon. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and that, speaking of that, that's what we're going to be getting into later. And that's why you're here. But we, we do have some things to talk about before that. Yes, let's. You know, there's always something to talk about in the movies, right? Yes, there is. But before we do that, Joe, I do want to just explain. Is Hollywood ever sleeping? No, no, Hollywood never sleeps. But I do want to just explain. If you hear my children in the background or loud noises tromping on the floor above me, I am not in my illustrious podcasting studio in Lyles, Tennessee. I am uh, at my in-laws' house in uh, in Illinois. And I'm in the basement, and the internet is not great here. Um, it's fine. It's just not like what I have at home. It's it's five megabits per second down. Strangely, it's nine megabits per second up when I speed tested just now. So I get a lot better upstream. Downstream's bad, but you seem to be sounding okay. So I think we're good to go. Normally well, good. at home I get fifty. I'm coming megabits. in loud and clear from my basement, in my new house. I haven't ever recorded a podcast down here, but um, right adjacent to me is the air conditioning unit. So if you oh, hear nice. a loud sound of the Millennium Falcon taking <laughs> off, it's because my house is about to launch. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean you, you can't really help that. I mean, if your house is about to launch, that's that's just the way it goes. Yeah. You got you got to go with it. I mean, it's, you're just making the jump to light speed. Just make sure you make all the correct calculations first. That's right. Yeah. Get on that. Well, let's go ahead and dive into some movie news, Joe. And this first thing that we're going to talk about is uh, Iron Man. Uh, possibly, uh, is it possible that Robert Downey Jr. would return for Iron Man 4? And this is a video interview with um, uh, with John Favreau, who directed Iron Man and Iron Man 2. And uh, so, uh, I mean, the, the gist of it is he's talking about the idea of, of uh, Robert Downey Jr. returning possibly for Iron Man 4. I know Robert Downey Jr. has said he's not really interested in that. Um, and he was asked if it was, you know there's a possibility of getting him back, and if Favreau mm. would come back, or whether Shane Black would do it, and and, and all this stuff. And uh, um, here here's my thing: I think that uh, John Favreau did a great job with Iron Man, um, and, and Iron Man two not so much. But I feel like, and you can tell me what you feel about this, Joe. But I feel like with Iron Man two, what we saw was a lot of studio interference. I don't know that we necessarily saw John really? Favreau's version of Iron Man two. Oh yeah, 
Is there any evidence of this? Well, just think about what Iron Man 2 was trying to do. It was trying to set up the Avengers universe. Okay. And, and it was trying to, to get all the gears spinning. And it didn't feel like a self-contained movie. It didn't feel like a movie that had a good plot. It felt like a movie that was a stepping stone. Yeah. And that very much feels like a studio. There's no evidence. I'm just saying I feel like, and I've heard this idea th- tossed out before, that I feel like what we saw was not necessarily... John Favreau's vision as much as it was the studio saying, here's the things that have to happen to get us to, to the Avengers and, and to get Iron Man ready for the Avengers. Well, I, I think know. it was Joss Whedon who said in an interview that he actually sat down with uh, the director uh, Favreau and watched a preview of Iron Man 2 before he got started with the Avengers and he personally was blown away and he said to Favreau, I just don't know how I'm going to be able to top this for the Avengers. Really? Now, uh, yeah, I know. I know. We're talking about Joss <laughs> Whedon, who never tells a lie. No, I mean, he makes and, mistakes, no doubt. Yeah. And so part of me feels like, really, that's a big letdown. And that actually kind of made me nervous about the v- Avengers franchise at the beginning, because I was thinking, what are you thinking about, Joss? You know, what did you see there? Um, and it may be that Favreau is just as content with Iron Man 2. Um, I don't know, because personally, to me, it felt like Iron Man the first was a really fun film. I love the film. The first act, the second act, just fantastic. Sure, absolutely. But it was the, it was the third act and the wrap up with the villain and how he, there was a twist there. And then they, they fight over San Francisco and all kinds of dumb things happen. And yeah, it made for some lighthearted, you know, weaponized body armor, you know, battle action, but it was a bad use of the villain character. And I felt like ultimately, even though that was a fantastic movie, it demonstrated to me that Favreau was okay with a lot of compromise if he just wanted to create an exciting ending. So when he made his sequel, I felt like what he actually wound up doing was saying, well, we're just trying to create all kinds of excitement. And so we're going to give people the roller coaster ride of a movie. And we're just not going to do anything stupid like Jar Jar Binks. But we'll give you lots of excitement. So you, so you, you think a little more highly feel, of, or a little less highly of him than I, I do. feel a little, yeah, a little less highly because. I feel like he just basically gave in to a weaker nature that said, you know, great storytelling. Yeah, great storytelling is great when you when it just comes to you. But if it doesn't come to you, just give people wild battle action. And so that's what we saw. And I, I don't know, man. Like Iron Man 3, even though I actually enjoyed it more than Iron Man 2, I felt like it seems like they don't really know what to do with a 40-year-old-plus version of Iron Man. They don't know what to do with him. Yeah, I suppose. I liked Iron Man 3 probably almost as well, maybe as well, even though I had some problems with it and the plot had some problems. I liked it a lot better than Iron Man 2, and it's on par. It's, it's near the range of the original Iron Man for me. But, it could but, be as bad as the, the result of Pirates of the Caribbean 4. You know? No, 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 no. I don't, don't know. If, if Iron could. Man 4 is going to go into that territory, I don't want it. I want them to yeah. end on a positive note, and Iron Man 3 was that. But I feel like Marvel, you know, I mean, we can talk about their issues that they've had with the director for Ant-Man, you know, letting him go, and what a mistake I think that was. But I, I think for the most part, Marvel's cranking out some good stuff, and I feel like the train has a lot of momentum behind it right now. And I feel like Iron Man 4 would be good. 
But, you know, that said, so so really the thing that I'm angling at here, even though my headline in this article that I'm linking to says uh, Robert, you know, the possibility of Robert Downey Jr. returning for Iron Man 4, we really don't get a, a positive or a negative vibe on that <laughs> so much. No, as, right. As, as, it's it's more about Favreau. I mean, it's speculation. And I feel like if, Iron, if, if Robert Downey Jr. is given the right amount of money and the script is good, he'll probably take the job. But but it's more about Favreau, and I would like to see if the guy can hit gold again like he did with the first Iron Man. I mean, I, I, yeah. I feel like I'd like to see that. I could see them outshining the other films. I'd be happy with that because yeah. now that the Avengers has given them more direction and we have seen how well the Winter Soldier did, I think with more backstory to help the directors in the creative process of developing future stories, they really make it easier for them. The, more, the better stories they have already behind them, the easier it is to conceive of the stories that feel like they're running in the same vein. And they can maintain that quality if they see, ah, okay, that's what really works. Okay, let's do that again. I think that they can do it without just selling a cheap imitation of the Avengers. And they can give it something really cool like they did with the Winter Soldier. Oh, man, Winter Soldier. Uh, Probably, I I still don't know whether I like it better than the Avengers or not, but certainly the best film this side of the Avengers and and the Mm. best film from, I mean, I'm going to have to say, I think on on Gestation, I'm going to like it better than the original Captain America, which I liked a lot. So, hmm. yeah, hmm. yeah. I don't know. I'll buy that. You and I haven't had a chance to talk about movies much since you've left the podcast. <clears throat> no, we, I haven't <laughs> been catching many movies. Yeah, like well, if, I, if I if I wasn't recording a podcast, I'm just saying no, no movies. Okay. This you know, movies stink. Why am I doing this? <laughs> I hope that's not how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm watching movie, I'm recording a podcast again. I'm like, yeah, movies are great. Okay. And I put down my video game controllers. I don't know where to go with that, Joe. So I think we're going to move on to the next bit of news. I think we've we've talked up John Favreau, and I think yeah. we would both. I think we would both like to see what he could do. Yeah. Is that well, fair speak, to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of the Avengers, they're also talking about this Hulk movie and the possibility of making a Hulk movie with the true Bruce Banner, Mark Ruffalo himself. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and if you ask me, this is just a fantastic idea. Like I, I could do without the Iron Man four, five, and six. You know quadracentennial whatever edition but um <laughs> give me more hulk give me good hulk with a capital h but what do you think of this idea so well first of all so we're talking about this article that kevin jagernoff uh, posted over on the playlist um and uh, let me just read an excerpt from that it's it would seem the tide is shifting on marvel's feelings about making a new standalone hulk movie the character one they've tried twice before to make into a viable standalone franchise has perhaps never been more popular thanks to mark ruffalo's portrayal of the green monster in the avengers and while that led to a flurry of fanboys begging for a new hulk movie as of last year ruffalo revealed that marvel had no plans to make that happen and even marvel's guru joss whedon said it's the most difficult marvel property but the character is a popular one stopping by recently and randomly in a World Cup ad for Nike, so perhaps Marvel is changing their stance regarding Bruce Banner. It would appear so. Chatting with Digital Spy, Ruffalo revealed that Marvel is, are toying with the notion, at least, of giving Hulk his own movie. I think they are, for the first time, entertaining the idea of it. When we did The Avengers, it was basically no. And now there is some consideration for it, he said. But there is still nothing definitive and not even a skeletal version of what I, it would be. I look forward to going down that road if we could crack that nut. Yeah, and they're kind of like what they're really saying in those private meetings that they haven't publicly stated is, hey, if we're going to make a movie like the Guardians of the Galaxy, what are we doing here? We need to go back and do the Hulk right. 
Yeah, I, I suppose. What, what do you think of this idea, though, where Joss Whedon has said, and I've heard other Marvel executives say, that it's it's it's, it's a difficult property to, to do anything with? That's it's ridiculous. They say that about Superman. They say he's the most difficult DC property, and Superman and the Hulk have nothing in common. I don't understand how they can both be so difficult to make a film for. Mm. And what it really boils down to is, are your creative writers willing to give it all it deserves. Are you willing to get yourself into the mytho right alongside of, you know, Eric Banner, Bruce Banner, whatever you call him, Bruce, Banner. David Banner, um, <laughs> and give him the attention that he deserves. Like let him become your friend, get into his world, uh, get absorbed into that world and do it justice. Spend some time incubating where it could go. Look at what the comic books have really done, what the best ideas were. There's, gobs of source material there are tons of loyal fans for this franchise and there's a reason for it it's because some of the comic books have actually told excellent stories it's not just that people love the color green and purple so yeah they can do something here and they just haven't proved it on the screen because they haven't taken him seriously they've reduced him to a humanized version of godzilla fighting a <laughs> alien alienized version of godzilla and then in another version, they had a military war battle action thing, and it was really a war action film. Like, I don't know. What was that? It was it was so confused. Which one? Yeah. This, the second Hulk film. Oh, see, I love that film. I, I don't like that genre. I don't like the military up against essentially Frankenstein. Mm. I, I didn't think that, it went that quite that down that road, but, me. you know. Well, re- regardless, I mean, I think that, uh, you, you know, I was irritated at the recasting uh, with Mark Ruffalo, but I have to admit, even I have to admit, that, that my irritation is with the recasting, not with Ruffalo's performance, because he certainly has played the best version of the Hulk we've ever seen. Eric Bana's Hulk, I don't think it was Eric Bana's fault, necessarily. I don't know that he was cast correctly for the role, and the script certainly was bad. That was just terrible. Um, I, I really did like um, the second Hulk film, but that's, you know, that's ob- that obviously didn't really go anywhere I do think I tend to agree with you. I think it's lazy, lazy writing, lazy thinking about writing to say that that Hulk is the most difficult Marvel property. There's there's so much there they can do. I mean, there's so much conflict, internal struggle, and that's what makes these characters interesting. I mean, when you think about Captain America: The Winter Soldier, you've got this internal conflict going on. You've got a couple of internal conflicts going on. You've got Captain America with his internal conflict of trying to figure out who he is now. He's He was the good old boy. He was the perfect guy. And now he's trying to figure out who he is in the 20th, uh, 21st century, you know, with, with S.H.I.E.L.D. and with everything. And you've got the whole internal conflict of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's what makes these movies great are the internal conflicts. And you have so much material for the Hulk of internal conflict. Or you've got Bruce Banner who doesn't want to be the Hulk. You've got the Hulk who's a rage monster who's some, sometimes uncontrollable almost. And, and there's just so much there to, to tap into i just don't see how they can say uh in in you know with all due respect to joss whedon i don't get it man how can you say it's a difficult marvel property there is a gold mine there to mine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that's, and it may not it just may not be joss whedon's thing to do and it might be if anything the harder the harder thing is not getting the character right but is getting the crew right it may be tougher to find the director who is suited for the task. Yeah, maybe Joss Whedon's not it if he thinks it's such a difficult thing. Although I think, although Joss Whedon's strength is writing and then directing, you know, but maybe he could all, maybe he could direct if he was given the script or at least the idea. I don't know, uh, but maybe he's not the right guy to do it. Maybe it's somebody else. 
Mm. So yeah, I, I would definitely love to see this. I'm, I've definitely warmed up to Mark Ruffalo. I went into the Avengers thinking I don't care who this guy is. I hate it, you know. Mm. And and he really turned me around, which is which is you know kind of hard to do once your mind has already gone down that road. So mm. I would definitely want to see a a, a Mark Ruffalo uh, mm. Hulk film. I hope we see that. Well, speaking about Disney properties, you know, <laughs> yes. TJ, you know, there's this really weird phenomenon that goes on just about once a year when. In- New poll is taken of all the babies in the world. This is ridiculous. And you know what we're saying? People named their children after cartoon characters. This is just so ridiculous. You know, not just the actors, not just actors naming their kids something like Apple and Matrix and Trinity, but you know, <laughs> there are real world people that named their kids after uh, cartoon characters. Yes. Um, I guess it must have been pretty bad a long time ago when, you know, the characters were things like Dorothy and Rudolph and, um, you know, Casper. And that must have been really popular for a little while. And these days, though, we have things like Elsa yes. and uh, Olaf. Um, I don't think this is the worst turn of events. Personally, Elsa, I think, is a pretty decent name. It's just a rotten shame that you name your child after a cartoon character. You know, but, that you didn't have a better reason for using that name because there are, there are name books, TJ, and inside of them, they have all this etymology about the, those names. And you yeah. can find out why this name is actually good on its own two feet. And there is a reason that they gave the cartoon character that name. And it wasn't that they saw a movie with a character in it with that really awesome name, Elsa. And so they used it in another movie and called their character Elsa, you know, and and, and if you think that would be silly. It'd be silly to name one cartoon character after another cartoon character simply because you liked that car- first cartoon character. But if you think that is silly, people are naming their real babies after cartoon characters. Yes. It's crazy. Did I, make, did I make your point for you? I think so. I, I think you've said everything I wanted to say. It's, it's kind of nuts. I've, I mean, there have been names that I like the sound of, but I've rejected for my children based on what the, you know, what they mean or the fact that they're popular names or the fact that they're names of characters in movies. Like, I don't really want to name my kids after characters in movies, much as I love movies. It's just ridiculous. Um, and I, I actually don't like the name Elsa that much, but, uh, it, so, so the, the whole thing here is a, the BuzzFeed article. Forgive me for linking to a BuzzFeed article. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Um, but I saw this. I couldn't resist. Elsa is now the most popular baby name of 2014. Is this why? Why? Why world? Why? Wow. <sighs> I mean, you know, I, I like the Matrix too, but I don't name my son Neo or Morpheus or Mouse. You know. Well, what about actors and directors and filmmakers' names? Could you see using their names? Mm. Would you be more inclined to name your child Whedon? No, no, I I like to to name my children Scarlet? something that's not you know instantly like like it's not popular, it's not. Hmm, how am I trying to say this? Okay, so my children's so my firstborn's name is Timothy Allen the third. That that was obvious because you know I'm, I'm a second, he's a third. You know, and then there's Natasha. That's uh, it's a it's like not a. I try to find names that are not head turners, but they're not like oh that's you hear that name every day, you know. You know, Titus is my third-born child, and that I, you don't hear that name necessarily every day. It's a biblical name, and then you've got uh, Kaylee, which I just really love that name. And and it's not, it's again, it's not, it's a name that's not necessarily like, oh, that's weird, but it's not a name that you're like, uh, you know, you hear that every day. You know, I don't know. That's that's right. I try to find that sweet spot, and this is just so weird to me. I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, what can I say? Because, uh, you know, I did not name my children after 
filmmakers and actors. Uh, but as it turned out, one of them, their name is Reese, and the other one's name is Jude. And we get questions all the time if we named them after the actors. Uh, <laughs> no, we didn't. Um, but we just really liked the names. We thought they were slightly unusual, but very cute. And they had also stick very well. Like Jude's a very good, solid, one-syllable name. And we liked it. And for that reason, we chose it. And for the same reason, we chose Reese. We loved a, uh, you know, like these days, we just have to admit, in our culture, there's few people that get by with using their full names anymore. Yeah. Normally, people give you a name. Your name is Timothy. You're going to be called Tim. Your, your name is Joseph. You're called Joe. Your name is Nathaniel. People are going to call you Nathan or Nate. And because of that, we just wanted to pick out a solid name that has sounded really good when it was used in its one syllable form. So we felt really good about the names Jude and Reese. Well, I'm just going to call your kids J and R. <sighs> <laughs> or, 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 or Re. How about Re? <laughs> it's going to come to that. It's going to happen, man. It's no, no seriously, until RD you mentioned that, JD. I was I was actually not even thinking about it until you started talking. I'm like, oh, you know, you're old. You're, I didn't think about Jude. Isn't probably Jude Law, I guess, what you're thinking of. But Reese, yeah, after, we get I didn't that think question. About, I never thought about it until just now. I'm like, oh, Reese, Reese Witherspoon, hmm. So, yeah, we get that know, question a lot. Yeah. Well, but I don't think she's, you know, like the hot popular thing right now. So it's no. not necessarily right. It's not something that comes to mind right away to me. So I don't know. Yeah. But I just think naming your character, your baby after a character in a 2014 film, in an animated film, this is strange to me. Just really strange. I thought you were about to say naming your character after a baby. Nah, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to name my next daughter Maleficent. <laughs> oh, oh, ouch. Oh. Well, an Aurora. Or Aurora, is yeah. Is that going to happen? Yeah. Or Prince Charming. Well, I mean, it's- if you've seen the new Maleficent movie, you'd know that that's probably actually a, a good thing that, to name your child Maleficent. Mm. Oh, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> Melly? Yeah, there you go. Mel. Mm, Mal? Okay. Well, let's talk so, about Ninjago, man. Yeah, Ninjago. Do you know what this is? I have never actually sat down and watched a full episode of Ninjago. I've seen different okay. bits and pieces of it as I've walked into the room while my kids have been watching it. And my wife has approved it for their consumption mm. of okay. entertainment. Not, not, you know. no. let's, let's get this one thing straight here, TJ. It looks like Ninjago. <laughs> But on the show, the ninjas call the show Ninjago. Really? Yeah, they call it Ninjago. That's weird. And it's the yeah, it's about the teenage mutant ninja Lego ninjas. And um, one of them's blue, one of them's red, one of them's black, one of them's white, one of them's yellow, and one of them is uh, green. And the green ninja has special significance because there was a prophecy about him. I'd gotten that much. Ding ding ding! That doesn't sound familiar, does it? <laughs> Um, and he actually showed up a couple of times in the background in the Lego movie, just as one of the other, uh, what did they call them? Yeah. Super builders. Uh, no, no, no. They had, a, a master, master builders. builders. Yes. Yeah. The green ninja was one of the other master builders that didn't have any voice parts. And, um, so anyway, in this video, it was, it's added on the Blu-ray set for the, the Lego movie. You get to see more tie-ins to Ninja Go and the Green Ninja as uh, this filmmaker supposedly from the studio a studio behind the Lego movie is showing our main character uh, what they really wanted to do. They, they, they used a test audience to determine that they needed to change the film up and they added more stuff into the film, drastically changing the story by yeah. allowing the Green Ninja to just ruin the film. It's pretty funny. 
it's pretty stupid actually i i I didn't appreciate that kind of humor really i mean it's not like they actually changed the film maybe it's because i'm just seeing it out of context if i found that on the the dvd i mean the blu-ray features and i was in the emotion of the moment uh, and i got to see the whole thing i might appreciate it i mean just so we're clear they didn't actually change the film i know but it's like it's it's a it's a multi-layered inside joke with the studio and they're expecting the audience to appreciate that they're making fun of their own marketing schemes. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, I, I guess, but I just found it a little confusing. It's like a bad presentation from Microsoft and Google or something. Okay. Well, that's your opinion. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty funny, but, you know, poking fun at your own marketing team. I don't know. I, th- I thought it worked. Uh, what, what I'm confused about, and I, I don't think they're necessarily trying to answer this question, so it's okay to be confused, but like, is the Ninjago movie that we're going to see a merging of the Ninjago that we know from, you know, the Netflix reruns or whatever it is my kids watch and, and the Lego movie, are they going to merge these worlds together or are they separate worlds? I wasn't, that wasn't quite clear to me. I'm not sure what they're going to be doing. I'm sure we'll find out soon. But. I think I would enjoy a Ninjago movie. Um, I, well, see, there's a thing though, TJ, is that in the Lego movie, they introduced several, several dimensions. Yeah. And they could do a whole movie around the cowboys or around the star the space characters and spaceship. You know, yeah. Spaceship. They could just give us one about the unidentified eighties spaceship guy. So Yeah. <laughs> spaceship. I, I would take that. I'd like that actually. All of us eighties kids, we could really appreciate that. Yeah. Well we'll see where they're going. I, I wish I kinda wish uh, we'll see what maybe the Ninjago or Ninjago I'm, I'm gonna call it Ninjago. Maybe the Ninjago movie will, will turn me around or whatever, but I kinda wish they'd just stay in the primary timeline and, and with the characters that we've already established, but yeah, whatever. It could get complicated. Yeah, they're going to – well, I mean, but I don't think they care. Like if things contradict each other or get complicated, it, they've already shown a complete irreverence that I don't think they really care. But do you think that they would steer – no, I guess they would introduce the ninjas as additional characters to the main characters in the previous film because they're not going to get away from Emmett and the other master builders now because they, they're they like huge critical portions of the franchise. Yeah. But yeah, I can see why that they would try to connect the two. Put the Ninja Go characters in with the Lego movie characters. I could see that. Yeah, I think it's that's probably up. where they'll go with it. And so maybe that'll be okay. Who knows? We'll see. It'll be fun. Uh, you know, either way. It may not be a five-star movie or anything, but I think it'll be fun. I could see a day when in the future, the uh, the father and son, uh, they've grown up and they're ready to get rid of the Legos. And so they take them all out to the garage sale and all the Legos are revolting and freaking out. They, some of them want to go to the attic. Some of them are afraid. So they wind up in a car at a box going to the, you know, what is it? The daycare. And, uh, they just got to run with that. Yeah. Well, I was going to discuss this, uh, star Wars seven villain detailed rumor, uh, with you, but I just clicked through the article again and it's just recently been updated to say that the rumor was 100% false. I don't know if we want to discuss it or not. Well, let's no, no, let's go ahead and discuss this because this is a big annoyance for me. This is a huge pet peeve, TJ. See, um, when they were making the star Wars prequels people, I was a young guy and, um, it really annoyed me that the whole internet, the TV, uh, entertainment tonight, you know, other stupid media outlets were constantly running the rumor mill for star Wars on overdrive, superdrive, and hyperdrive and every other drive, because they thought that star Wars 
was such a big deal to everyone that they would milk it for all it was worth. And so they would talk about the rumors when there was nothing to talk about. And they did it all the time for every night for months before episode one came out. They were talking about all kinds of dumb things that were completely irrelevant. And they actually kind of spoiled the first film for me because no matter what, as a child even, I was sick and tired of hearing about Star Wars. And what was worse was when none of it was true. None of it was relevant. And no one really knew anything. But you don't think that's part of the fun? That's part of the fun, though. Not to this extent. Like, Mm. I can handle it in moderation. But here we have the Internet's movie outlets already talking about the rumors of Star Wars and determining, like, all kinds of stuff about what villain which, you know, could it be something from this old dusty portion of a kid's cartoon or could it be from a video game? Or maybe there was an allusion to it. Maybe the Sith Lords are actually, (gasps) Palpatine never died. We never actually saw him die when he fell into the bottom of the Death Star. Who knows? You know, To be fair, that that has not been rumored yet. I know, but it's going to happen. I just created the rumor. Just watch out, man. Um, <laughs> well, you're I, I a just, lot more bitter about this than I am. I think it's all good fun. I, I think I'd much rather just wait for actual details to be released and milk those for all they're worth and explore the possibilities based off of something they actually said. Like if they're saying, we're introducing this new kind of artificial technology where we have these robotics and on the set we've introduced this new kind of you know robot that you use on a green screen, then you know let's, let's talk about what that robotics could be about in the film. Maybe they have a new generation of droid armies. You know, okay, that'd be interesting. Let's talk about that. We have something to talk about because we know it actually is in the film. See, a new generation of droid armies would just, I would just be so disappointed if there was any rumors about that because, ew. Yeah. I don't want to hear about droid armies. But at least if it's remotely based on something actually happening in the production, then I care. But if so it's you, just you should have been somebody, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the rumor. You know, there was actual set photos released of the Millennium Falcon and stuff. You would have been happy with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much. Sorry about that. You weren't. You weren't. You weren't there. You weren't here. Sorry. No, I. I it never happened. I, I. I didn't hear it. <laughs> well, I think this is all good fun. The rumor had. The, I'll, I'll leave the, the link in the show notes. The rumor has been dispelled. Uh, the, you know, they had some some possible spoiler rumors on what, who the bad guys in in uh, Star Wars Episode Seven were going to be, and it's been completely debunked. So go read through if you're interested in that. I thought it was fun to kind of speculate or whatever. But well, speaking on TG's behalf, everybody, the good news is is that if there's any relevant Star Wars news, you're going to get it right here on Movie Byte. Sure, and absolutely. so you don't really need to pay attention to anything. You just need to listen to Movie Byte, and if there's anything that matters, you're going to hear about it here. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, Chad and I have talked about Star Wars or whoever my guest has been when Chad has not been available. It, it seems like for the last three or four, maybe five weeks, there's always been a little something about Star Wars. Because this this is, this is you know, can you believe it, Joe? Star Wars is being made. New Star Wars. I didn't think that we would, we would ever have any new Star Wars being made anymore. Yeah, as we speak, you know, Harrison Ford may be in costume. No, actually, he's got his, his ankle's been broken, so he's he's off the set for now. Well, his ankle is not in costume, but, you know. He might be piloting the Millennium Falcon or something, <laughs> sitting down. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we need to move on to our primary review, How to Train Your Dragon 2. Okay. So How to Train Your Dragon 2, um, I, I just want to give a quick update real quick here. Um, I posted uh, an, uh, a, uh, a thing last weekend on Friday 
uh, about how How to Train Your Dragon 2 and 22 Jump Street were going to be battling for the box office. 22 Jump Street looks so stupid to me. And I posted at the end of the article, if 22 Jump Street beats How to Train Your Dragon 2, I'm going to rage quit. So here you go. This is me slamming my computer shut. <laughs> I am rage quitting life. I am leaving. Sayonara. See you later. It was good to know you. Goodbye. How did this happen, Joe? How did this happen? You know what 21 Jump Street is based on, right? No. It was an 80s TV show, and Johnny Depp, that's where he got his start. Interesting. Don't care. Yeah, yeah. he actually walked off the production because he was bored with it. Channing he quit, Tatum he quit and his contract. Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill are in these movies. That's all I have to say about this. <laughs> just, yeah, there's really no good excuse for these films. No, no. I, just, I, I watch the trailers, and I feel like I lose 50 IQ points every time. I'm like, I've got to stop it. Go back to the old show. Relive the past. Okay. Enjoy that. Don't watch the films. All right. Well, that was the update before we get into the review here. So let's talk about how to train your Dragon 2. It opened in theaters on June 13, 2014. We don't have the budget. We don't know how much they spent on it. I'm going to guess it was around $150 million. That would be uh, typical for a movie like this. Maybe $200 million. $200 million. Hmm. So don't know. We don't know. It's not been released. Opening weekend, uh, it brought in $49 million, $49.4 million. I don't know what went wrong. Total gross worldwide was eighty million point eighty point six million. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes says that it's, it's it's exciting, emotionally resonant, and beautifully animated. How to Train Your Dragon Two builds on its predecessor successes just the way a sequel should. Directed by Dean DeBlois, DeBlois, I don't know how you say that, and writers Dean De, De whatever his name is and Cressida Cowell, starring Jay Baruchel, uh, Baruchel as Hiccup, Kate Blanchett as Valka, uh, Gerard Butler as Stoic. Craig Ferguson as Gobber. I don't remember how his name is pronounced. Goober, Gober, Gobber. I don't know. America, Gobber. Gobber. America Ferrara as Astrid and uh, Jamon Honsu as Drago. Music, excellent music by John Powell. So, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about this story? All right. So, in brief, it's been five years since Hiccup and Toothless, the dragon, successfully united the, the dragons and the Vikings together on the island of Burke. While Astrid Snotlout and the rest of the gang are challenging each other to dragon races, which is the all-new Rage, favorite contact sport of the Vikings, the now inseparable pair journey through the skies, charting unmapped territories and exploring new worlds. When one of their adventures leads to the discovery of the secret ice cave that is home to hundreds of new wild dragons and the mysterious dragon rider, the two friends find themselves at the center of a battle to protect the peace. Now Hiccup and Toothless must unite to stand up for what they believe in while recognizing that only together do they have the power to change the future of both men and dragons. All right, so that is the story behind How to Train Your Dragon 2. We're going to try to keep it spoiler-free at least for a little bit here, and then we will, we will be diving into spoilers a little bit later. I, th- I think, though, Joe, and we will be spoiling How to Train Your Dragon, the first one, just by ne- necessary consequence, and we're going to be doing that pretty quickly because I want to talk about the first film. Um, the first film, well, Go ahead. The first film was one that I uh, I never got around to seeing. It kind of came around uh, – as, as is the case, there was kind of a lull – 
before Movie Bite, where I just didn't, I, my movie budget just wasn't there to see a lot of movies, and it was none, one that I never came back around to to see on how uh, video on demand or Blu-ray or whatever. So knowing that How to Train Your Dragon Two is coming, uh, I watched it and I was blown away. I mean, it wasn't even the theater experience, and I was blown away. The music, the the majesty, the animation, the story, um, the oh, the story! It was such a great story. Um, I was really, really, really blown away with How to Train Your Dragon. Fantastic. Now I know what everybody's been raging in, about, about how good it is. Um, and it just, you know, the, everything. The music was fantastic. Uh, John Powell does maybe some of his best work, I think, in How to Train Your Dragon. And uh, so, you know, I came away from that and I, I gave it, when I rated it in my uh, film diary, I gave it four and a half uh, stars on Letterboxd. You can follow me there if you're interested in keeping up with the stuff that I watch. Um, so I gave that movie four and a half stars. I think it was a fantastic film. What did you think of the first one? I really enjoyed it. I never got around to star rating it, but at the time I saw it just once and I remember seeing bits and pieces of it since. I didn't see it in theater. I watched it with my kids. And it was because someone else recommended it to me. And I was like, okay, well, I don't have a lot of faith in DreamWorks animation. Exactly, right. Uh, but, you know, it, even though the animation was subpar to something like a Pixar or a Disney film, I actually got into it more than I expected. And so I ex- appreciated it for, you know, exceeding my expectations. I feel like that may have distorted a little bit of my view of the film, though, because, like, when your your opinion is already very low and then you're pleasantly surprised, it's easy to feel like it, you know, wow, this film is better than it actually is. And so I don't know if it's going to really stand the test of time for me because even though I genuinely appreciate good storytelling, it seemed like the film had some, it hasn't tempted me to go back and watch it a second time. Hmm. See, and, I, I, I almost went back to it. I just didn't have time. And I mean, like in my case, um, there's a lot of movies that I, they're so compelling. I, I want to, to see them again very soon. A great example of this was the Lego movie. Another example would be the Wreck-It Ralph film. Um, even, even Frozen. Like, you know, I know it's got its weaknesses, but there was something I, I appreciated about it because it was, it was a noble effort. <laughs> I don't know that I can argue it's a great film, but it's a personal favorite. I'm sorry, which film again? Frozen. Frozen. Okay, I liked it well enough. Yeah. Um, it seems overall acceptable and, and, mm. and above par. It sounds um, like my opinion would be higher than yours then. Not addictive. Nothing addictive like the Aladdin was. The craze around <sighs> the Beauty and the Beast. Uh, you remember when those were like yes, the yes. most awesome sauce movies? I do. Like I do. if they came out today, I bet you they would pretty well be just as popular because those films are kind of addictive. I don't... Mm. Okay. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon... The first film, I didn't find it to be addictive. And like, I got to see that again. It transcends its um, target audience of just being for kids. Um, it did not get me that kind of way. So if, if you take the opposite of every point you just made, that's me on How to Train Your Dragon. Like, it, I find it to be a film that I will come back to. I find it to be a film that transcends the, the genre and that it has something for adults and it has something for children. And I find that, like, like you mentioned earlier, that the animation was subpar and I found the animation to be superb. Like, what are you talking about? Um, it's subpar when compared to the perfect 
animation coming from Disney and Pixar. I, I but if it's on that. its own merit, it's really good stuff. If you do not compare it to something else, it's just excellent. I, I, I just I just can't agree with that, Joe. I, I think it's 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 top of, of, of its time. I think what you've gotten used to. You got to remember this was made several years ago. I think 2010 is that right? And then we've seen a few movies come out since then. I mean, the technology is always improving, but at the time, it was on the top of its game. I think it was as good as anything we'd seen at the time. So and, okay. and 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 you know I I would agree especially comparing to How to Train Your Dragon two the animation in How to Train Your Dragon two is even better I would I would give you that mm-hmm. um so yeah I mean it's How to Train Your Dragon is definitely a movie that I will be coming back to time and again yeah this is a franchise people that you definitely need to watch with your kids for sure the, the, yeah. this one the last one um there, this is a a decent franchise but speak but but speaking of kids though how did how, you you took your kids to see it. Mm-hmm. How did they respond? How did they react? Were there, you know, were they happy, sad? Was there any sadness? Mostly positive. And they, they're four and five, and so they really don't follow follow the story to a T. But when there were high points and low points, they were getting them. And when it was all over, they actually said, "We must go buy the movie for my well for their grandparents to watch later." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and I, I don't know. I don't know if, they, if the grandparents want to see the movies, but um, yeah, sure. that. They seem to definitely dig the film. Well, without spoiling why or what happened or anything, uh, let's just say that they really that my, my children really enjoyed the film. All all three of I took three of my children of four one of uh, four of my children. My my youngest is too young for movies. You know, she's one and a half. Uh, but so Titus is three, uh, Natasha is five, and Alan is seven. And they all really enjoyed it. Um, you know, Titus, of course, he, he just enjoys being at movies. Natasha and Alan were definitely involved with the story to the point that at a certain point in the film, they were breaking down, sobbing and, and weeping. Uh, and and I, I may or may not have um, identified with that particular state of being. Um, <laughs> it was it was a way more emotional experience for them than the first film. And I don't know how much of that is because theater is more immersive. And if you're a young child, you definitely can can easily fall into that more where where I I I know that I need to make my viewing experience at home immersive, and so I do. Whereas they they're more affected by whether it's immersive or not. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how much of that plays into it, but they there was no there was no sobbing uh, in the first How to Train Your Dragon, and this one I feel like definitely had more of an emotional arc to it. Well, they raised the stakes. They definitely raised the stakes, and some very sad things have happened uh, in this film. So, but but I I don't regret taking them. I I, I mean. I don't have any problem with them being on emotional rides. Maybe you would limit it more than, you know, you wouldn't want that all the time. But, it, you know, it was very interesting to see that and to see how they reacted to that. Titus, it didn't bother him at all. He, he was not able to internalize the emotional ride that, that the movie was taking you on. Well, let's talk about the animation a bit then, because that was something I think is trickier between the audience for the adults and for kids. The older you are, the more you notice that Santa Claus's beard is fake. <laughs> and it's sort of true as well with animation that you notice that these are just 3D rendered polygons and these are you know given some textures that are not actually three dimensional yes but there ain't no way the lighting is coming from this way and that way and this way and can be purple and gray at the same time yes, you know, like that never happens did you, you get you a load of the hair the animation of the just the beard and the mustache on stoic it was so fantastic yes. I was mesmerized by Stoic's beard. <laughs> the, the, now, the animation, that, it sounds weird, but the animation of hair has come so far in the last three or four years. 
Yeah, and I think that a great direction for it was The Incredibles um, and the Sully animation from Pixar. Like, I don't know how much or how often the programmers from one studio are able to copy the program, you know, algorithms to, to develop mm-hmm. something like hair in another film, but surely there has to be some uh, cross uh, over uh, programming because yeah, hair in particular seems to be rather consistent now for animated films. Yeah. And the one thing, though, that really stuck out to me as the one shortcoming, I don't remember this about the How to Train Your Dragon, the first film, but the one shortcoming for me as an adult was it never looked like the characters were breathing. Mm. And so as they would speak, you never got a punctuation with them beginning to take a breath or ending by taking a breath or having a deep sigh or, you know, something like that. And so it felt like their mouths are moving and noise is coming out breathlessly. That's what it felt like to me. But that was my only real complaint about the animation. Yeah. And, and some of this is some of this that we're talking about, you know, and I don't know whether what, what was conscious choices and what were not, but to some extent you're like, this is an animated film. You can't make it too realistic. It's, it's a cartoon where you know that they're doing CGI that is photo real. This was not necessarily supposed to be photo real. But we're getting to that strange place where you're kind of demonstrating – well, you're kind of demonstrating that you expect a higher realistic – you have higher expectations for realism than what we used to with cartoons. I mean that as, yeah. as CGI gets better and better. So they're trying to ride that line. Where do you get – where do you cross the line? We're not trying to make photo real, but, yeah, but they're expecting more. Is this a great spectacle for, well, frankly, older kids and adults? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just look at the um, look at that uh, car, that that uh, commercial I posted oh sometime last year with Audrey Hepburn. You remember that one? Did you, did you ever see that? Where yes. she looked, she was photo, she was. I could tell that she was CGI, but I don't think most people could. Um, no. she was very photo real looking. So we know that the technology is almost there, and they're obviously not going that far. They're making a conscious choice not to make How to Train Your Dragon two and and Pixar films and other other DreamWorks films. They're making a conscious choice. This is a cartoon, right? This reminds me of um, the direction they took the Lego Movie because it looks like these were animated Lego toys. And uh, it has a quality about it that looks like it was using stop motion animation techniques. Purposefully. Like they used for Gumby, you know, yeah. uh, a long time ago. And the thing is, uh, I, I loved it. I felt like the animation style was very complimentary to the world of Lego. Yeah. But what was funny to me was they actually gone out of their way to produce that style and to make it look like they were the real toys because they were actually animated CG stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so nothing in the film was necessarily real except for the live action scenes. Right, right. Yeah, and it's definitely a conscious choice, but we're we're definitely getting into that weird place where you have to make these choices. I remember they talked about and this, you know, we look at we look at Toy Story and we laugh about this because Toy Story as good as it was technically at the time, it just doesn't approach what we can do today. Yeah, but they made the conscious especially. choice sometimes to dial it back to say, "You know what? This is a cartoon. We don't want it to look too real." They talk about that. I know John Lasseter has talked about that. Yeah, well, especially with Finding Nemo, because they could make all the sea creatures look exactly like the real sea creatures, but then they just didn't want to lose the personality of the cartoon characters, and so they made them a little bit more cartoony, just as for the sake of their story, story style telling. Yeah. Well, all this is to say, Joe, that I found the animation of both How to Train Your Dragon and How to Train Your Dragon 2, obviously because we're uh, four years down the road, 
that that the animation How to Train Your Dragon Two is even you know that much better. But I found both films to be fantastic and and really, especially some of the flying scenes, very exhilarating. And and especially seeing it in the theater, um, maybe that somewhat contributes to where I didn't see How to Train Your Dragon in the theater, and then how, seeing seeing the flying sequences with Toothless and 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 Hiccup, you know, soaring through the air. It was just exhilarating and breathtaking yeah. and, and wonderful yeah. animation. I, I loved it so much. Um, Agreed, definitely. So, so getting into more general, you know, thoughts about the film, I, I would have to say, where where How to Train Your Dragon was a four and a half star film, I, I didn't quite feel this one lived up to that. And and part of that, as you say, could be expectation, but I, I do, I feel like I've learned how to counter that in 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 evaluating films and and setting my expectations properly when going into a film. And I, I just feel like this film doesn't quite live up to the first one. I liked it slightly less than the first. Not to say I didn't like it because I loved it. But it just there's a few things that just annoyed me about it, and, and a few things that I felt like they could have done better, and a few shortcuts I feel like they took in the story that they didn't need to take, you know. Um, but at the same time, I really greatly enjoyed the film. How about you? Uh, yeah, ditto. And I'm glad I saw it in the theater. I think that this film is more enjoyable in the theater because of the epic qualities. There are several moments where you see just a multitude of dragons, all different colors doing all different kinds of things. And every one of them is richly animated, doing his own thing, exhibiting his own personality, going one way, doing one thing with another dragon. And over here, there's another dragon that's the size of a mountain, you know, but what is it doing? Well, it's just trying to take in the entire scene too, like you are. But if you're watching this on your TV set at home, you're not going to be able to appreciate the little specks that are flying around that make up a multitude of different dragons. Yeah. I think that um, what was really rich about the film for me in the first viewing was the the twists because, you know, this was something that was discussed a lot uh, about the film uh, The Incredibles. A lot of the fans of The Incredibles liked it that they raised the stakes and convinced you that there were real stakes involved where the superheroes could actually get killed. Yeah. You know, they allowed for Mr. Incredible to bleed. They demonstrated that other superheroes had died previously from the same things, the forces that Mr. Incredible was facing. They demonstrated that even the kids could get killed. And this film kind of does that as well. And I was wondering if they would do that or not, but they pulled it off and it was very convincing that they were saying, look, you know, if we want to, we will kill anybody in the movie and it doesn't matter how much you we're care about We're not going to talk about who yet. I'm not going to talk about who, but you've already um, kind of almost spoiled it by saying anybody died. I mean, but it was, it was intriguing and that was what made it more interesting and gripping and um, really sucked me into the story. Yeah, I mean, it really deals like, like even like in, in the first film, and it kind of carries over into this film, losing a limb. I mean, it, it, they didn't pull any punches on that. I mean, the Hiccup lost his leg, and and he's dealing with that now. I mean, that's part of the film. It's part of the story, and and, and I, I feel like in a really good way, you know, where where there's that scene where he's saying to, uh, we won't say who the dragon trainer that he meets is just yet, although that's been spoiled in the, in the trailers to my chagrin. But, but um uh, we won't say just in case you haven't seen that trailer, but but he's he's telling you know, and, and she's like, well, well, I suppose Drago shot the shot in the Night Fury down. He's like, no, actually that was me, but it's okay. I mean, he couldn't. I lost my lost my leg. I'm a peg leg. He couldn't save all of me, you know. Uh, I just felt like this film really dealt with that in a great great way. Mm. Speaking speaking Another also. Thing. Oh, go ahead. No. 
please. Okay. Well, I was going to say, speaking also, you were talking about kind of the um, the cinematography of the film, if you will, if, if you can call a CGI film to have cinematography. R- Ro- uh, Roger Deakins, um, is, is that right? Yeah, Roger Deakins, uh, who uh, is a great cinematographer. He's known for films such as Skyfall. Um, I'm looking for more here. Uh, Jarhead, The Village, um, uh, A Beautiful Mind, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, The Big Lebowski, uh, let, let's just let's just end it there. Just say he's a big time cinematographer. He was a consultant on this film for how to frame the shots, how to use the camera, the CGI camera, and how to effectively make the film look more real in its cinematography. And I think that's they one of the it. things that we noticed of, of how well it was done. Yes, absolutely. Like sometimes you feel like when you were uh, flying alongside of uh, Hiccup and toothless that it was a something of a roller coaster ride experience yeah but then in other very uh tender moments in the dark you felt like you were watching something like a, a classic romance in terms of its cinema cinema cinematography cinema, thank you the <laughs> appeal of how they frame the shots yes yes absolutely you, you could definitely feel his influence in that way and, and in a it very lent, good way it lent an animated film a lot more credibility yeah, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. What did Something, I interrupt you for? Well, speaking of how things were shot, it also reminds me of where things were shot, like in the film, that they, they showed a lot more of the Viking world and beyond their Viking world to the lands beyond. Yeah. And I wasn't entirely satisfied with the environments in the first film. This film blew oh, the landscape out of the water. It was just so gorgeous. The The environments were so fascinating and so deep, deep and rich. It felt like a place I'd love to visit like middle earth. I mean, it was just like, Whoa, I want to go to there. Yeah, you know, that's, that's fantastic. And, um, even things that were probably quite impossible. There was a, a one fantastic element that one of the dragons is able to create a, a mass that people could live inside of. And yeah. it was a, the kind of place you only wished was possible. The kind of thing you make up as a child right, right. when you're playing with your toys and you're yeah. like, oh yeah, this bookcase is totally a mountain and this is the side of a rocky cliff, you know, and all these, you know, GI Joes are about to die. You know, <laughs> it was the kind of thing you came up with as a child with your toys. Only this is happening on the big screen. And as an adult, I'm like, wow, I would love to see this place in real life. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, I, I completely agree uh, with that. Um, it, it just it, it really had a sense of place that that uh, I mean, this is it's more of what we've been talking about the, the CGI films getting better and better in that way. That that sense of place is very very much expanded in this film. I, I think one of the other things that I really enjoyed about this film was um, well, you know, two things really that, that kind of tie together. This is this whole story, this whole arc, um, and I've I've heard things like it's been conceived of as a trilogy. Even from the beginning, like they have an idea of where they're going, which may explain some things. But but just even watching the arc, I mean, there's a continuing arc that we're seeing Hiccup on from the first film to the second film. It's it's all very much a coming of age story where we saw him reach a milestone in the first film, and we've seen him reach another milestone in this film. And I still think he has some a ways to go, but I really enjoy watching. I mean, because I mean, to me, I'm in movies for the characters. Yes, uh, the animation was great, but to me. What makes this film really good is the development of characters, and, and especially of Hiccup and, and of Toothless as well. I mean, I think they're doing a really good job with that, and I really love the interaction between the of the relationship between Hiccup and Toothless, and, and just seeing how 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 that's come. It felt like a really logical progression of five years 
where they're really attuned to each other. And Hiccup is almost basically he's a sentient being and can even understand what's going on at times. I mean, I just really enjoy that interaction. Hmm. I, th- I think we're all in agreement. So you want to press <laughs> forward into the dislikes? Yeah, I, I have a couple more things, though. If, if you don't have any more likes, I was I was pausing to see if you had any more likes. No, please go ahead. Um, I I, uh, I think I've alluded to this. I didn't mention it outright. So to say I really enjoyed that this film was was fresh in a way that I there were a couple of plot twists that didn't I didn't see coming where I as I watch more and more movies, Joe, I'm getting to this point where it's like I know exactly where that's going. I know where that's going and I know where that's going. And there were a couple of times in this movie where I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Coming. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. And and not not that they broke good storytelling convention, because I hate it when they when when a movie surprises you because it's just bad storytelling. You know what I'm saying? Like you, <laughs> you think they're gonna do this and they don't, and you're like, well, that's stupid. But there was none of that, but it did surprise me. And I really, I really enjoyed that. It was it was very fresh and very nice. Um and as we've already talked about, it's a very emotionally heavy film. And, and while my kids enjoyed it, there was something there for the adults as well. It, it was very grounded uh, in, in a in a real in, in in the reality it's created. It's very grounded in that way. Um, hmm. And you know, and then of course, finally, my my last like that I have here in my like column is the music by John Powell. As I, I think is better even than the first film, if, if if that's possible. You know, because the first film was a great music as well. What, what did you think yeah, of the music? Yeah, it has a great spirited, epic quality to it, and I appreciate that kind of um, energy that is, that's very consistent in the soundtrack. Yeah. And it's something that I, I thought about in the back of my mind, though it wasn't uh, in the foreground like it is sometimes when a soundtrack is trying too hard and they're just trying to create some uh, – you know, some evocative themes that you feel like it's actually getting in the way this time around in a good way, like a good soundtrack does, at least when you're watching the movie the first time, you're not actually consciously aware of the music. And it's really in repeated viewings that you become more keenly aware of what the soundtrack is doing and where it's going. Yeah. 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 It's gotta be, it's gotta be a background character that is doing everything to make the, the, the main characters look good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because you know, I, I guess I would say to that 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 I only noticed how good the music was, not in relation to the film, but on its own because I was looking for it because I've I'm you know familiar with the soundtrack of the first, so I, I wouldn't say it's bad in that way. I would say it's just really good, and I and I was looking for it to be good, and so I found it to be good. Does that does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sure. All right, so now your dislikes, Joe. I, I want to talk about these names. The, the very names? first, very, the very oh, first thing sure. on the top of my list of dislikes is the names, and this is this is applies to both films. What is up with these names, Joe? What is this? I I totally agree. I thought about this a lot when watching both of them. I mean, it makes sense for Toothless to be named Toothless because Hiccup named him Toothless when he saw he didn't have any teeth, and then they all, oh, there is his teeth, they're retractable or whatever. That makes sense. I mean, a kid naming his animal Toothless, that's fine, right? Every other name, like, like what what are these parents doing? You name your kid Hiccup, and you expected him to grow up to be a big, burly chief? What? What is this? This is nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah I know. And, and stoic. He's he's stoic, you see, Joe, in case it was not subtle enough for you. He's stoic. I mean, <laughs> what, what are some of the other names? I mean, because he was he was born stoic, you know. He was born with that beard. <laughs> exactly. What were some of these other names? Just nonsense. Okay, yeah, some of the others, um, other main character names like Fishlegs and Astrid. That's not bad, but Fishlegs, come on, and Roughnut and Toughnut, and guess which one's the girl? Who knows? And then we have <laughs> Snoutlout 
and Gobber. Gobber actually kind of makes sense because he's such a um, a quirky sort of beat up mangled Viking. Yeah, I like him. that. Gobber suits him. Like you think that that's his nickname, not his genuine name. But when you have other characters like kids that have never done a thing except that they've like followed the leader with names like Snout Lout, Snout Lout, what, why? Because his nose is turned up, obviously. He's not loud. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. Uh, I think yeah, the, most, it, the most egregious, though, would have to be Hiccup, because especially... Uh, he's we, the uh, central character, right. and that name does nothing for him. And especially on the arc that he's on, where he's growing up. I mean, that just doesn't work. After a while, it's like, Hiccup, really? Are we gonna, can we please change his name? Can we find out that Hiccup is a nickname and he has a real name or something? Yeah, like his name would have been better off if someone suggested that they wanted to give him an, an unusual name, and somebody in the writing room said, how about uh, Hiccup? I just uh, hiccuped five, five minutes ago. And someone says, no, nah, that's stupid. But what is Hiccup spelled backwards? Well, it sounds like Puckeye. Oh, okay, let's use Puckeye. That sounds like a Viking like name. <laughs> you know, at well, least it would have had something that would have been more interesting and ultimately more intriguing to the character. I, I just, I don't, I don't get the name Hiccup. They yeah. might as well have called him, you know, like Belly Button. I mean, just, <laughs> why are you doing this? And I think at least with a couple of the new characters, you get the sense that like, eh, we, we, we probably ought not to saddle these characters with names we're going to regret. So so they pick, you know, names like Valka that are that are less like they're not a thing that you're it's like it's not like a, a hiccup, like a, you know, it's it's a name. It's, you know, it's a weird name, but it's a name. Right. I mean, it's just I feel like maybe they're thinking maybe they made a mistake and maybe they're acknowledging that with some of the new characters. Although then you've got the, the bad guy. His name is Drago. I mean, so that's kind of like he's a he's a dragon guy. So let's call him Drago. I mean, I don't know. So maybe they didn't get away from it. I don't know. The name. Well, you know, like, there's actually what's interesting to me, too, is for the How to Train Your Dragons um, films, there's actually a large expanded universe where there's online games. There are uh, other short films. Did you ever see the expanded like How to Train Your Dragon guide on the history of dragons? No. It was actually narrated by Hiccup, and it was a really fun film. It's a, I think it's on Netflix. It was a year ago, and it's a very entertaining 30-minute bit. And they go into the history backstory of dragons, and they have all kinds of clever 2D animation, and it feels nostalgic in terms of animation for that reason. It afforded them all kinds of clever uh, 2D uh, comical development, while Hiccup was, for the most part, trying to be just like straightforward, as he usually is. Yeah, of course. Um, And you know that's that's one of the great things about the first film was just the the clever. Uh, wry, witty, dry, um, snarky, nerdy humor that would shine forth out of all the sarcasm from Hiccup. And this film didn't have so much of it. And that was something I wanted to talk about, TJ, was going back to the dislikes. Are, Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So I already hinted at that I wasn't entirely satisfied with the animation in spite of the fact that it's really beautiful and the motion and the cinematography really makes this film look great. That... I wasn't entirely sold on the animation simply because the characters' mouth movements didn't seem to entirely capture what the characters were saying. And this is a big problem when you have a fantastic voice uh, cast. You And they do in this movie. Yeah, Gerard sure. Butler doing stoic. Oh, man. Uh, just, oh, come on, man. That was perfect. But if it couldn't get any better, we now have to go into spoiler territory. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's, let's, the let's, let's, spoiler bell. Spoiler alert right okay. here, right now. Here we go. Okay. Kate Blanchett is in this movie. Yes. 
She's she's actually a live actor, a live action actor. So that are most usually of these actors is on screen because she is actually a fantastic voice. Oh man, I mean, like she is a fantastic fantastic actor but just her voice is an actor in have, and of itself have you seen like, uh the aviator oh yeah and and just her like she's australian but you don't get a hint of that there she's totally Catherine hepburn i mean and my wife we watched the aviator last night is the reason i'm asking we just saw it last night i've seen it before but i finally got rachel to watch it with me and i'm like do you recognize that actress after a couple of scenes she's like she looks really familiar but she's that type of actress that she you may not recognize her because she is a chameleon. She gets into her roles. Yeah. So anyway, I'm just bolstering so, your point there. Yeah, and, and if anything, um, this film had a difficulty trying to live up to Kate Blanchett's voice. She plays um, a very new surprise revealed character of Hiccup's mom. Right. That's who's the spoiler. Alive and well, and helping out dragons for the last twenty years, and. Um, She's a very interesting character. I, I I thought she was very cool. She is the dragon rider, and she has the most badass outfit of them all. It has this, you know. You've, you've tight, expanded your vocabulary since last time I spoke to you, Joe. <laughs> just because, uh, what, what else are you going to say to describe? <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, I mean, this is, um, this is pretty cool. This is like. Um, is there if if biker gang motorcyclists dudes were still cool and they still looked interesting, only they were riding dragons wearing <laughs> armor and spiky helmets. That is what mom looks like. I suppose. And yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, like she doesn't exactly look Viking. She looks like someone who's been out in the boonies living around the dragons for too long. Well, she um, has. But she. But she she's stunning. She looks like Kate Blanchett with dark hair. She ha- has a great presence on screen. But in lies a big problem. It felt forced to introduce her now because she there was no discussion about mom in the first film like she was alive. Just None of the characters she was dead. That she was alive. Yeah, that everyone thought she was dead. And in this film, when they reveal her, they hardly give her. Uh, She's she's not really useful. Like once she becomes, mm, I don't know about that. She, she's not like she doesn't have a significant role to play after uniting her with Hiccup. And when Hiccup begs the question, "Where have you been for all these years?" Her explanation was really wanting because her explanation basically boils down to, "Well." I'm a dragon lover. And so I wanted to make sure that the dragons were alive and well and okay. So I'm, I, I found a way to help them all coexist and I've been living among them. And this is really important, much more important than doing things like staying with my husband and not letting him think I'm dead and not raising you son. Yeah. And that's really that I was going to agree with you on that point. That is actually one of the, my very next bullet point is mother. It literally reads mother staying away. Question mark. Really? Question mark. Yeah. That, that was probably the weakest point of the film for me is, is what in the world, what, what mother like, like that makes the character like in, in how much love she shows and, and how much I loved it. And she's like, Oh, you know, and she's so glad to be reunited with her son and then more spoilers, stoic. Uh, and, and then, then like, but, but it kind of, it kind of softens that by, by the fact that she stayed away for so many years. Like that, that just doesn't, is not congruous with the character she is now. Like it's just weird. It doesn't yeah, work well. And it, and it is very much an afterthought. Like, Oh, yeah, th- we, we're going to retrofit 
the story that we thought we knew about the the mother we're, we're gonna we're gonna retroactively change that and and they made it work like well there's a reason why everybody thought she was dead she was carried off by a dragon but like seriously after she's got everything settled and after a couple of years have gone by she wouldn't have come back or, or even a year or whatever like i don't know that just doesn't make any but sense. she wasn't even attempting to come back exactly that's what i'm talking about that they stumble across each other in this film that's what and, i'm talking and, about and even at that point it, it takes all kinds of special persuasion to try and coax her back into their society. And it's not because she has any hard felt resentment towards Stoic, her own husband, or to her, her child, or towards the town. It's like she has no resentment there. Yeah. She just doesn't think they are important enough. Yeah, and, I would agree. And, and I thought, why are you doing this? Poor, and because it, the script said she was. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Like that doesn't actually work. I'm sorry, but that that was kind of lame. Um, and considering it was for you know family film, I found it very difficult that they were trying to extol her at the same time demonstrate that she did something really dumb, or at least ways should have been done very differently as a character. Well, I would see. I would say her introduction should maybe have been done differently to kind of deal with that. But you know, because I did like her as a character, I wouldn't want to see her go away as a character. Even though you're saying you didn't feel like she had much to do, I, I wouldn't really agree with that. But I do agree that yeah, her the whole thing with uh, well, she got carried away by a dragon and then decided because she's a dragon lover, it's time that she should just stay away and let everybody think she's dead and she thinks that everybody'd be better off. I, I just don't buy it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they set her up as being this dragon rider who has brought all these good dragons together to live in a special butterfly, you know, sanctuary scaled up to <laughs> dragon scale, and and basically it was like, hmm, was that was that a double pun? Okay, anyway, so it was really cool. But <laughs> what happened was, I just they, got it. <laughs> thank you. So what <laughs> happens is they didn't really let her flesh out as the dragon rider. She didn't have a mission critical. Um, a, a task for the end of the film. They set her up as this incredible person who has led the dragons. And then they allowed the villain to come in and rain on her parade, destroy everything that she has worked for. And then she in utter defeat, just kind of like resigns to the fact that the villain has taken over everything. It's in his hands. Now all my work for the last 20 years is completely wasted. And that's just the way it is. I don't know so, that I would, I don't think she did that. Because, I, I feel like she did because they did not demonstrate that the mother took any affirmative action to work alongside of her son to save the day mm-hmm. after all the dragons had been led away astray by the bad dragons. I don't know about that. But, I mean, whatever. I mean, <laughs> like, go back in multiple viewings. I think that you will notice more and more. Like, wait a minute. What is the mother's involvement now? That, that's That's what i got from I'll it i'll certainly be watching it for you know, now that you mentioned it yeah um okay so off that topic that'd be like it's not the worst thing in the world i mean it's it's just there and kids probably won't even notice it yeah and moms and dads may because we're like wait a minute what are you trying to say about our roles in life you know yeah, anyway yeah. but the, the then the other thing that kind of bugs me about the film is just how rushed it felt like everything from the dialogue to the action it was trying to say a whole lot in a very short amount of time, mm. not just in terms of the film's time constraint of trying to meet its like, uh, you know, what is it? How long was the film? 90 minutes, two hours, three hours. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't three hours. Let's see, But in that time frame, 102 they, minutes. Okay. They basically told a story that it's hard to entirely tell, but it looked like the entire story took place in less than a week. And 
I, I could buy that the story took place over a week, maybe. But even then, it'd be feeling kind of rushed. But I, just watching the film, I kind of felt like it was suggesting that everything happened in three days. Less than that. And I, I actually disagree with you there. I thought it was very well paced. I, I, dis, I really disliked it. Because the last film, How to Train Your Dragon, it did a great job of giving Hiccup plenty of time to work with these dragons and show improvement that was progressive over a long period of time, as things really do happen in real life. But then in this film, they have an incredible, insurmountable problem arise from the villain Drago overnight, whammy, everything in the world has been turned upside down, and then just quick as a flash, all the heroes figure it out. They find the one thing that might work to stop the bad guy, and they resolve it with him in the same amount of time it took Draco to ruin everything. They got everything put back together again. Mm. Oh, I, I, that was astounding. Like it, it felt rushed to me. Okay. And I don't, again, I don't think that kids would care. Um, it, it, it might as well have been a Christmas story because it all happens in one night. You know, it is might as well have been. Um, what else? Lastly, okay. Lastly, did it, did you notice TJ at the first battle in the movie that they, they have this beach where the villain has brought a fantastic army and he has his own bad dragons under his leadership and he has these war machines. You're not exactly sure what they're going to do, but they're probably going to burn down everybody and you just can't tell they're going to destroy all kinds of things Yeah, because Drago is a very strange man. Most of the characters in the movie, they are exempt. They demonstrate that they belong to the Vikings, but Drago, is somebody strange from a distant land so he has unusual weaponry he has unorthodox practices with his dragons everything about him his people his ships everything looks a little bit different like foreign so you don't really know what they are there to do they just look really scary but when they show up to have their first confrontation with the large group of good guy dragons they're on a beach and it looks as though in one of those gorgeous moments of a wide shot in cinematography feel and appeal that you can see hundreds of foot soldiers on the beach. Mm-hmm. And in the course of a very cool action-driven Avengers-worthy you know, action scene, they manage to demonstrate how powerful Drago really is and he gets his way and he's able to overthrow the good guys in a large way. The good guys really hurt him too, but he is clearly the victor on the beach that day. But we're talking about maybe a handful of good guys, maybe two dozen people with a maybe two dozen dragons up against at least, no, I'm sorry. I need to, I need to retract that. We're talking about hundreds of good dragons up against hundreds of foot soldiers. Uh, so, uh, you know, a, a Navy armada, of bad guy ships all under, you know, Drago. So they have to have their own crews and then they have the, uh, an unidentified number of their own bad guy dragons. And when the battle is all over, all the Navy men and the foot soldiers vanish. They're not in the rest of the film, even though Drago has won the battle and you never saw you, any of them hurt. I thought you saw them in the ships and stuff back at uh, Burr. <sighs> I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see how they had any relevance at the final conflict 
they didn't accomplish anything for anything for Draco in the entire film. Mm. So even if they were there, not one of them did anything. Yeah. It was it was kind of weird that he had all these forces and they accomplished absolutely nothing. Yeah, I can see that. I, it didn't bother me too much, but I, I can definitely see it. And I'll have to again when I go for my second viewing of the film sometime. I'll have to have to look for that because I didn't. Know, I, I mean, I, I just thought they were out in the ships and stuff and hadn't made it up to the land yet. Mm. I don't know, and, and I can see that. I just felt it was very disappointing to say, "Look what we have here. We're going to do something crazy." And did not use them at all. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's that's a problem. Um, what else? And again, got? my annoyances really again don't impact the story greatly. Um, this film, its story is very fun and enjoyable. Um, it's just that it taints the overall appeal for I think older audiences because you're you're not going to feel like this is as relatable for the older gen, you know, an older generation. Yeah. Um, is it the, my kids, they saw no flaws whatsoever. Of course not. <laughs> you know, of course. So, yeah. Well, let me, let me talk about a few of my dislikes, which I, I do have actually, I think maybe more than you had, uh, even though I, I, I think I liked the film better. Uh, but, um, in, in my light column, I had this bullet point emotionally heavy. And in my dislikes column, I have this bullet point emotionally heavy. And while I simultaneously liked it and liked the depth, I almost feel like they went almost too far. Um, it was very emotional, and we'll get in. I, I want to talk about in a separate point, kind of why, but but it was just it was very heavy, uh, and 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 you know I feel like while I felt like the film was well paced, I think maybe perhaps the only time I felt like it was ill paced was at this emotionally heavy moment where I didn't feel like it was given enough time, and I didn't feel like we let that sink in. Maybe that is where I feel like the film was a little bit rushed to get past that emotionally heavy point. Um, I don't know that, that, that it was just kind of like it, at the same time that I loved it, I kind of hated it. Um, so, and, and then, uh, so, so my next bullet point would be, um, the whole, the whole fight it thing, fight, fight the brainwashing. You can do it. You can do it. Toothless. You don't listen to him. It's me. I'm right here, buddy. Fight the brainwashing. Just fight it. Be strong. It's like, come on. I, really? Do we have to do that? I don't know. That just felt weird to me. Well, I don't know. Yeah. And I agree. Uh, I, I, uh, that was one of the things that took me out of the film because they explained that the, the dragons are being brainwashed they're being hypnotized. But then um, it was really of their own will deep down inside that they were able, able to overcome the hypnotism. Right. It right. wasn't really based on anything special that hiccup was saying. Nothing that he could say was significant enough. Yeah. And in that same token, it's almost, almost the same thing, but I made it a separate point. Like, how does this alpha control thing work? Like, um, how, how does, uh, how does he control and, and how does Drago control the alpha and how does the alpha control the other dragons? You know, and then there's one scene where, where he finally, he gets toothless to overpower the, the alpha's power over him. And then he puts a blindfold on him to make sure that he doesn't get, but, but then the blindfold falls off and he's not under his power again. Like that was all very nebulous. Like, how does that power work again? What is this? It's kind of weird. Yeah. It's very strange. Mm. Well, um, see, I was buying into that because they were just saying, you know, look, dragons are very special creatures and they have different ticks, kind of like a cat. Mm-hmm. You know, your cat's going to get jump up on your lap and start kneading your thigh. Why? <laughs> I don't know why she does that. <laughs> it's true. You know, she thinks that she's doing me some kind of, you know, courtesy. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, you know, if I could speak the same language, I guess I'd be kneading her paw. I don't know. But um, 
you know, it's just one of those things where I think that that was what they were trying to suggest, that the alpha has a special way of just using a gutter wall or something to suggest, hey, I'm number one here. Do whatever the heck I suggest. Yeah. And the others would do it because they were like, oh, well, naturally, we're all dragons here. We all know what that means, you know. And so I kind of bought into it for that reason. But at the same time, I agree with you that it was frustrating not knowing what it was that would really make them tick. Yeah, and I didn't have to have the whole midi-chlorine explanation or anything like that. I just felt like it was no, inconsistent no, within the rules. No, please like, dragons. Like, like I felt like the rules that they made for how it worked were not consistent. You know? Yep. I, I don't know. Yep. I don't know. That, that, that was my thing. Um, I did feel like we got a little close to the chosen, to the sort of chosen one stuff where, oh, his mother's a dragon rider and so he's a dragon rider and he's the chosen one. I mean, they didn't quite go there, but I felt like it got a little close to it. I wanted him to just be an ordinary kid who's discovered how to, uh, train dragons as this title would suggest, how to train your dragon. Um, and, and I just felt like this made it a little more like chosen one stuff. I, I just didn't care for that. Oh, yes. Especially by the end of it. Yeah. Well, I have one more. Uh, can I throw in one more? Yes, you may. So I, I don't know what it is, people, but is it just me? But th- these are supposed to be Vikings. And nothing about this film has to be historical to make me happy. I'm okay with what they did with dragons. I think it's brilliant. I think it's very creative. It's very fun. But when it's all said and done, there's really nothing about these Vikings that's really authentic. Nothing really. They've taken so many liberties. They may as well have just said, we're making up a fantastic world, a fantasy world, and we're going to call them the muddle bombs. And you know, the muddle bombs, (laughs) people just happen to have some Viking characteristics, but instead, no, they've said, Oh, these are the Vikings as though in some parody of the real world, this actually resembles some historical fact. Yeah, I and nothing suppose. about it really does. I don't know. And I, it, I, I just, I'm disappointed that they have gone off the beaten track that much. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. It's just kind of historic fiction, retconning history. You know, this is this is our version of the magical things that happened to the Vikings, and it's kind of a base to start from. I don't know. I, I think it's fine. Yeah, I think it's fine too. It's just, I don't know. It, it's petty, but it's like. If Middle Earth tried to suggest that this stuff was actually happening in, you know, Great Britain a long time ago, uh, and, and that's what Middle Earth actually was, I thought that, that that's dumb. I just, you know, don't yeah, go there. I suppose. I have one more dislike, and then I want to talk about the big spoilery, big big spoiler scene. Um, and my, so my final dislike is, um, I'm pretty sure it's the one they call Roughnut, the girl. I, I felt like she was so annoying. I was so done with her. I didn't want her in the <laughs> film anymore. She was just annoying as heck. I bet she would have a major crush on you, TJ. No, not at all. <laughs> it was just really, she was just really annoying. And the whole thing where, you know, the whole, you know, they were trying to woo her and she'd be like, Ugh, you know, whatever, I know. you know, and then it's like, she sees this guy and she's like, oh, he, I want him. He's mine. You know, I just, I, I just didn't want any of that. It was just, ugh, yuck. Yeah, and they didn't even really develop it anywhere. It was no, just it, comical it, relief. Yeah, it was comic relief. It is just stupid. You remember how in the original Toy Story that Bo Peep was very enamored with Woody? Yeah, and yeah. And it, it was even to the point of being a little bit awkward. Yes. You know? But in Toy Story 2, they kind of backed down from that and yep. demonstrated that she was still very much attached to Woody, 
just not making it to the point of being awkward. And then in Toy Story and, 3, she's just gone. Yeah, and I don't know that that was necessary because I enjoyed Bo Peep, and I think the, the whole audience did, but they were trying to make a point, again, that you know the toys can vanish you know, that, in a realistic way, that they can be removed from Andy's room. Yeah. And uh, she was, for crying out loud, she was Bo Peep. So <laughs> in this film, though, it was like, yeah, you've really pushed – You've really pushed it there. Um, Rough Nut is a bit too enamored with this, you know. It's just stupid. Just and, stupid. and just feel stupid. You just feel kind of awkward about it. I think like maybe one or two times she could have had the whole, you know, thing where the two guys are trying to woo her and she's like, eh. And maybe they could have gone like once. She was like, oh, he's hot, you know, or whatever. And then that would be it. But it's just like they kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And they were like, the camera would like focus in on this guy's biceps. And she's like, oh, you know, and it's like, man, just stop it. Just stop. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't I, know. I agree. Uh, anyway. All right. Well, I want to talk about the big, this is a big spoiler bell. Like this is major, major spoiler. Do not listen to this. If you haven't seen the movie yet, do not, <laughs> they didn't, this one, this one was a, um, this is a dislike. No, 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 this is, we're out of the dislikes and dislikes and we're just talking generally now. Oh, okay. Cause I have likes and dislikes about this whole thing too. Uh, mostly, mostly likes I think, but, but I mean, this is like major, major spoiler territory. Like they actually did really good at hiding this. I did not know this was coming even right up until it happened. I'm like, Oh wow! They really did that. They just did this, Joe. They really did it. Did they? Really, I mean, did they really do it? No, they did it. No, they really did it. Oh man! Uh, and this is Stoic's death scene. And not only that, Joe. It's the way they killed Stoic was so just mm, hit you right here, where it's it's not necessarily Toothless's fault, but Toothless is the one that fired the shot because he's under the control of the Alpha. It was heartbreaking. It was, it felt like my soul had been ripped out. I didn't feel like a, a connection with it at all. I, I was kind of really? like asked that they did it. I was taken by surprise and I was like, oh man, uh, I'm going to miss him. <laughs> and at the same time, I was also like hurt. I was like, hey, come on. Why'd you do that with your main dragon? Like, uh, is that is that what you call character development? Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. I, I think it, I think it could provide some tension between Hiccup and and Toothless in, in the future. And I'm not saying I dislike it. I'm just saying, man, it just really I I was very ultimately I was moved. okay with it. I was okay that they did it, but at the same time, not sure if I should be you know taken by it and really sad or just disappointed that they actually did that. I feel kind of neutral towards it. I just have mixed feelings in general. Um, mm, I, I was it, very, very emotional about it. But the one thing you know for sure, TJ, is that they have opened a huge can of worms that is going to afford how to, um, uh, how it should have ended to resolve this whole issue. <laughs> oh, yeah, They're sure. going to have so much fun with that. <laughs> they like are. I was th- like, if nothing else, if they had no other better ideas, the obvious one is that Stoic would run down with his battle axe and just whack off Draco's head. And with that, like the the whole Alpha Dragon would not have his master. Instantly, the Alpha Dragon would not be brainwashing Toothless, and the whole the whole problem would have been over. Yeah, I suppose so. There wasn't time to get to him. <sighs> I don't know about that. Like Stoic was sliding down the hillside really fast to get I over guess. there, just to get blasted by fire. I mean, at, for at me, so so what was impactful about it is to me in the first film, I really loved the resolution of tension between Stoic and Hiccup. I felt like it really worked well. 
And I really loved Stoic as a character. He's pompous and idiotic sometimes, but he's lovable. He's really lovable. And and I wanted to see and, – and, oh, and then they had this great the, – the reuniting sequence between Stoic and, and Valka. And, and just – oh, I just loved that scene so much. And that was all very happy emotional. Like you, you, you just – you love the whole sequence. The, them getting back together, their love rekindling and reuniting and the reuniting of the family and they're all together again. And then they, they just pull the rug right out from under you. I'm telling you, Joe, this this was very emotional for me. I, you know, sometimes when you're – I guess I was just that invested in the film that when it happened and it happened kind of like – I realized what they were doing, like, as he's pushing him out of the way and as Toothless is firing the blast. I'm like, oh, no. It was it was very, I don't know, it was, it was something. Sorry, yeah. I, I know you don't feel that way, so I don't know what to tell you. No, I, well, there's a part of me that feels like, should I be upset that they demonstrated that Stoic was not smart enough to no, no, come, come to a better resolution? That. It'll make for a funny how it should have ended, but no, it's not that at all. No, no, I'm not talking about how it should have ended anymore. But I mean, like, think about it. His son didn't know what to do. And the chief, the one thing he should have been good at was pr- protecting and defending his people. Well, and he did. They, al- they alluded that, yeah, he did by losing his life. And then sometimes you have to do that. But then the whole point with Hiccup is that he wants to protect and defend without anybody needing to die. And the same thing would have been true with stoic like he didn't want to die he was just reunited with his wife but are you saying that he was just reunited with his wife okay so joe arguing as a christian now i mean this is a very biblically resonant story i mean the the ultimate story is where christ laid down his life for his sheep sometimes sometimes bravery and, and valor calls for you to lay down your life to protect others the difference though with what jesus did is that he had to in order to save the world. And you don't think that he had to in order to save Hiccup. Like, he had no. to do that. I, no, I disagree. he didn't have to do that. He I could have just gone kill Drago. He could have wasn't tackled, time to get to him. He could have tackled Toothless, redirected his fire. We are not you know? going to agree on this. It was it, like, no. You have Toothless no heart. You have no soul. I think we Toothless was a brainwashed dragon. But he was never known to have been hostile to no. stoic in particular no so stoic should have gone right up to his face and smacked him around grabbed him in a, in a in like a headlock so that the, the dragon wouldn't have been blasting fire at nobody and if <laughs> if toothless had created a stir and started flying around anxiously trying to get out of stoic's gridlock then stoic would have been so daggum strong he could have wrestled an alligator for a day you know and it would have solved that it would have given you know, uh, hiccup enough time to escape. Like it wasn't necessary that stoic die. He didn't have to run out there like okay. in front of a moving car. Okay, look, so, so, so toothless is getting ready to blast as stoic is arriving. The closest thing to him is hiccup. He doesn't have time to get to anybody else. That's See, I didn't think that I thought he had to go out of his way a few feet to get closer to hiccup. <sighs> no. I thought he was already closer to the dragon. Disagree. Hmm. Because that, my impression was that they were either equal distances apart you're, from Stoic or that he was already closer to the dragon. You're nitpicking, and this is a sacrifice, and you're making but me sad. But you brought it up. You're but making you, me sad. You nitpicked. You brought it up first. You said he was already closer to Hiccup. I'm just, I'm just saying what I thought. All right. Well, I thought it was sad and moving and good and 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 well done and sacrificed valiantly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just saying how they could have done it differently. I'm not saying that it was un, unwarranted. I mean, yeah, the, the valor was appreciable. Okay. 
All right. Well, I'm sad now. I don't know how to end. I don't know how to end this. I don't know how to end this podcast. I'm sad, Joe. Save me. Hold me. Uh, please. No. <laughs> All right. Well, let's head into our um, our final wrap up here and our final thoughts and our star ratings. And Joe, why don't you tell us uh, what you thought about this film and kind of your star rating and, and whatnot? I think that the, the the rating on Rotten Tomatoes is rigged. That's what I think. No, TJ. no, no, no. No, no, look at it. It says it's a 94% from the critics and a 93 from the audience. That's right. That's correct. Okay, that's what they say. But that's also a lot better than what people give some of the best Pixar films. Like, that's better than Finding Nemo. That's I can't help that. I'm just, I can't help that. I, I do know the critics really love these films. Yeah, but it also doesn't make any sense that the audience likes this film more than Toy Story 3. I can see that, that doesn't make any sense. I, I don't. I mean, I like Toy Story three a lot, but I can see how critics are tired of the Toy Story franchise, and and I can see that. I can see it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't think I. It's, come on, it's not rigged. It's just you don't agree with it. I, I don't agree. But they're, yeah, they're saying on Rotten Tomatoes that the audience is giving it a ninety four, and the critics are getting, giving it a ninety three. Yeah, um, which is uh, slightly that, less than the first one. That's that's not that's just not legitimate, people. Come on. In a few months, you're not going to feel that way. Mm. Um, I'm giving it a three out of five stars because it is enjoyable. It is worth watching once. You may not necessarily get anything out of watching it with all of your friends or anything. It's not that special. Uh, And your kids are going to love it. But, you know, there's rough nut. (laughs) There is rough nut. (laughs) And there is confused Kate Blanchett who doesn't do anything in the interest of her family soulless. And, and then they go and kill the grooviest dad right here for father's day, you know, right here for father's day, TJ, they killed stoic. It was a good thing to do on father's day. Cause he sacrificed himself valiantly. We've established this. Yeah. So well, for, for, for comparison's sake, what would you rate how to train your dragon? The first one, three and a half, maybe four. Mm. You hurt me. You hurt me. <laughs> All right. Well, no, lick your wounds, TJ. I I rated the first one four and a half out of five stars. I'm rating this one four out of five stars because it is a fantastic film, and Joe is not doing it nearly enough service. I just, I just don't even know how mm. I can be friends with you anymore. Um, it's a fantastic film. It's definitely worth catching in the theaters, uh, as the first one was. I should have wished I would have caught it in the theaters as well. Um, for all the reasons that I've already listed, which I don't want to go back over, it's just a fantastic film. Definitely one that you should uh, you should go and see. I think. Well, since I am writing the review for you at Movie Byte, I yes. want you to write a little segment to give the the alternate, you know, take. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I'm, you got to give I'm, me just a paragraph or two because I'm going to be uh, as just as I can be for, true to my story. Well, you so. have to be. I, I would. I would not expect anything less. I don't know what I'll be able to write because I'm I'm on vacation. Actually, my vacation started on Monday, but now I'm taking off uh, to go out uh, with my wife for a couple of days. Uh, in Chicago for our ninth anniversary, so I'm that's actually good. going offline. So, okay, well, yeah. so that's right. why you're writing for, and you are you're you're taking over Movie Bite for two days for me. Yes, I'll I'll put some words in your mouth then. Yes, I'll, yes, I'll, thank I'll you. try to write your opinion for you. Excellent, thank you. It'll be it'll be filled with a lot of I liked, I liked, I liked, and this was bad, 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 and I liked. Okay, well, well, good, good, good. Yeah. Well, that is it for this episode of the podcast. Next week we will be reviewing the Fault in Our Stars. I don't know whether I should look forward to this or not. It's just that there's a lack of anything else coming out. And uh, I've heard good things. I've heard bad things. I've heard it's emotional. I've heard it's 
you know, very young adults and maybe I won't like it. I don't know. We'll see. So The Fault in Our Stars is what uh, we'll be talking about next week. Chad will be back and joining me for that episode of the podcast before he takes off on his month-long trip, leaving me all by my lonesome with uh, Clark Douglas. Um, so, But next week he'll be back and we'll talk about that. In the meantime, Joe, uh, now that you're back and you've made people – you've kind of rekindled people's interest in you and your stuff. Where, where, can, <laughs> where can people find you and your sometimes inaccurate opinions about movies like How to Train a Dragon 2? Um, <laughs> where can people find you and keep up with you and, and follow your work and stalk you and all that good stuff? Um, well, um, people that want to find me, you can find me at my website. It's joedarnell.com or – you know, if you know me as Joseph, you can get me there as well. JosephDarnell.com. They both go to and the And I'm same available place. on Twitter. Underscore Joe Darnell is my user handle. What's with the underscore? Because um, I really wanted Joe Darnell and I had Joseph Darnell, but everybody calls me Joe, whether I like it or not. And then if I introduce myself as Joseph Darnell, then they ask me, well, can I call you Joe? After they've already called me Joe the fifth time. <laughs> so I thought, oh, screw it. You know, just call me Joe Darnell. Fine. So be it then. And, but I couldn't get Joe Darnell because it was already taken. So uh, I used the underscore to get at underscore Joe Darnell on oh, Twitter. All right. All right. Well, you can follow me on Twitter as well. Uh, my preferred username is not available, so I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. That's where you can find me on the social medias. Of course, uh, every day I write something at MovieByte.com, except for uh, tomorrow, which, uh, as you're listening, it'll be today and Friday, because uh, we'll, this will post on Thursday morning. So uh, those are the only two times that I won't be posting on MovieByte. But every weekday, normally I post something at MovieByte.com. Catch Joe's stuff uh, for the next couple of days. Uh, so go there and check that out. If you would be so inclined to find us iTunes and give us a rating. You can do that by searching for Movie Byte, M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E, and give us a five-star rating. We accept nothing less. And if you want to catch the show notes for this episode where I'll put the links to everything that we talked about, you can go to moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 93. That's where the show notes for this episode are located. And we thank you so much for listening and hope that you have enjoyed Joe and I bantering and bickering about How to Train Your Dragon 2. And we will catch you next week. See you, Joe. Good night. Good night.